What a privilege. Good morning. No, you've got to do better than that. Good morning. Ah, excellent. Good to be with you again. Uh, 1.2 billion people, they say, in Africa now, so we do need him more than you do. Okay. <laughs> um, what a, a great guy. Uh, your church, we've just stepped up our relationship with your church, and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, your church has now adopted a whole region. You invest into one guy that makes sure uh, the leaders that work with J-Life, and that's who uh, Pastor Scott invested into over that period. they leaders that work with J-Life, and they all went back into their respective countries. I think we had about seven countries together at that point, and then they've gone back, and they multiply what they learned into other pastors' lives. Sorry, I have to always correct myself, and I always get a good laugh out of it, but pastors... Is that better? You eat pasta and you, well, some of us eat the pasta as well for lunch on Sunday. So um, we, we're really just passionate to see Jesus' life modeled. Uh, I, I'm more and more convinced that there's only one man that saves. What a song, man. That was just, you got the best view of me. Jesus saves. Only one man. Only one man got it right and was able to pray, Father, I've completed fully the task that you gave me to do. And all over Africa, we're so busy trying to do our own thing. And if our thing doesn't work, then we're trying to steal it from another church because we're like, well, they get in it, right? So let's do it like Willow Creek or, or Saddleback. And I'm not saying they're doing it wrong. J-Life is saying Jesus did it right. Let's do what Jesus did. And so we are, are getting into the lives of pastors. We're really dealing with head, what they understand, hands, what they do, and then heart, what they value. And if we can change the heart, then the head and the hands will change. But we really start off with an understanding of how did Jesus do disciple making. The average pastor in Africa, I had a pastor say to me, um, you just got to get over that pastor word, okay? Because it's, I had a pastor say to me, John, how do I run a disciple making ministry if I have never been discipled? This pastor was a pastor's kid. And so if a pastor doesn't get it right to disciple his kid, the kid is going, how do I run a ministry of disciple making? And J-Life, our philosophy is, I will disciple you. Let's go on a journey. I've got a, a young pastor that I'm busy working with. His name's David. And David started getting it. And, and instead of just telling about disciple making and, and challenging about disciple making, he started discipling. And he took three young men under his wings. Yes, he was doing all the other church stuff that he, he needed to do. But he said, I'm going to model what this looks like. And if I can pour my life into three guys. And I went on a journey with him. And Dave would meet with these guys and disciple these guys. And, and after a while, he said to me, John, I've got to do more. I'm just not connecting with unbelievers. 
And the next time I met him, we spoke on a whole lot of things that he could possibly do. The next time I met him, he said, John, I've joined a rugby club. You know what rugby is. It's that sport that they're like real men. They don't wear pads. <laughs> do you get that one? Some don't like it. Okay. But, I mean, I've joined a rugby club, and I'm hanging out with these guys. And I, and I think to myself, doing what Jesus did. A friend of? You can respond to me. This is family. Friend of? Sinners. He said, John, not only am I doing it, but I've got my three disciples, and we're all playing in this rugby team. And so we move into him from just being a teller. Jesus says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. And um, if I can get a pastor to do it, I know the church will follow. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just theory. In fact, let's admit, we've been filled with a lot of theory. A lot of do this. And we need some action now in what we are doing. And so thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting a region. And, I, and I'm not making that a small thing. J-Life, for many years, we, we haven't had specific people focusing on specific regions. You support a guy by the name of Leo. You supported all of these country leaders coming together. Now that they've gone back to their countries, Leo is traveling to those countries and spending extended time in their country. Leo is also looking into new countries and saying, how do we mobilize J-Life into these new countries uh, to get them doing what Jesus did? And so thank you. And please continue praying for us. Uh, uh, one billion people, what an opportunity. Uh, I don't want to speak on J-Life, the organization, much this morning, much more than that. I want to speak on Jesus' life. Uh, what a man. Jesus saves. What a man. Do you believe that? Amen. This man blows my world. He blows my world. The more I get to know him, the more he blows my world. I took a, a number of folk from your church to Israel uh, over the, it's just before Easter weekend. And we studied the life of Jesus. And uh, I've been there, I think, 14 times now. And every time I go, it blows my world more. I learn new things about him, and I just, and you smell the things, and you, you go, this is where Jesus was. Outside of reading my Bible from cover to cover, that has had the most spiritual impact on my life. Just getting on the ground. I can't take you to Israel now, but I want to take you back to Israel this morning. If you want to come, I'm going next year again, okay? A little advert. If you've got that on your bucket list, it's a good thing. It's not a waste of money at all. It's worth doing. But for this morning, you're just going to have to bear with me trying to take you back. Okay? Jesus has lived 33 and a half years of his life. We come to John chapter 15. Who knows where John chapter 15 is set? Now, Pastor, I don't want you to answer. I want to know that your people are learning. Where's John 15 set? Teenagers, where's it set? Upper room, excellent. The youth pastor's doing his job. Well done, guys. They're just looking at me as if I'm mad. Upper room, 
Where is this in Jesus' journey? Sorry? The last week, okay? John 15 is the last week. In fact, it's the last night that Jesus will spend on earth as a man. The last night, it's just before Jesus is going to be arrested and then try, put on trial and crucified. Uh, it's, it's the last time that he's going to have concentrated time with his disciples, okay? John 15 is not actually in the upper room. He's just come from the upper room. Read at the end of verse 14. It says, come now, let's leave. They leave in the upper room. Paint a picture Walking down those Roman roads made out of these solid uh, stones, sandstones, solid, walking down those roads, being traveled on by thousands of people over the years. They walking down the steep hill, down the Mount of Zion, towards the, ga the gate that they called the Dung Gate. They would go out the Dung Gate and then hit a, a left and up the Kidron Valley and eventually Jesus would end up in the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray. Are you following the picture? So they gained down that valley and somewhere, I mean going down the hill in Jerusalem before they hit the valley, somewhere Jesus is reminded of a vine. Uh, as I was coming into church this morning, I see a vine just outside here. Vines here, it just doesn't feel like the right climate, okay? But Jesus saw a vine, and it stimulated his thought pattern, and, and he says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Some say that at the gate, the dung gate, there was this big copper uh, sheet on the dung gate where they had hammered out a vine. And Jesus stops at this, this picture of the vine. Or maybe they had just gone out and there was a vine right near the gate there. And Jesus stops them and he says to them, my brothers, I am the true vine. So let's read together from John chapter 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus has taken these men on a journey. In fact, if we go to verse 16 of this passage, Jesus goes on to say, he says, you did not choose me. Here's this journey. Starting right at the beginning, Jesus is now saying to him, guys, look over your life. You never chose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. I'm thinking the disciples again, you never chose me. I'm thinking of Nathaniel. You remember Nathaniel in, in John chapter 1? Yes, no. He was sitting under a tree, okay? And Jesus says, I saw you. This is a true Israelite. Nathaniel thinking back, you know, there was like, he saw me before he saw me. I don't know that sentence works, okay? And now Nathaniel's going, he saw me before he saw me and he chose me before I thought he chose me. Andrew, James, John, all these guys that would follow after Jesus, they thinking of every moment in their life. Just like you and I sit here today and, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're thinking over your life and you're going, I see God's hand, I see God's, are you with me? I mean, the reality is, if God did not choose me, I could have been like Kevin Seeger, and that's, <laughs> and that's no joke, okay? But uh, <laughs> he's taken my life, and he's had his hand upon me. I look at who I could have become. I look at how other people mess up and I don't look at my life and go, I've done it right. I can do nothing right. And this verse says that. If you're sitting here today, Jesus says, I have chosen you. I've chosen you, why? To bear fruit. Look at this journey of the disciples. He took them from unbelief to maturity. Okay? Unbelief speaks about self-serving. It speaks about me. It speaks about my agenda. I want it my way. And he takes them from that point to the point where they are prepared to die. And many of them did die for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the message. This man, Jesus. A transformation happening in their life as he takes them through a journey. He says to them, come and see. Come and see my life. But he doesn't leave them there. He wants to take them along that journey. He then says, repent and believe. Eventually he says to them, follow me. Follow me and I'm going to teach you the kingdom, priorities, and character. Jesus had an agenda when he came into this world. Yes, the agenda, agenda was to save the world, but it was also to instill in the lives of those who would follow him, kingdom, character, and priority. The kingdom mandates of being the salt and the light of the world. And he says to them, come follow me, hang out with me, because I'm going to pass on to you. 
I am going to make you into a disciple. Are you following this? I'm going to make you into a disciple. But not only am I going to make you into a disciple, and we speak about discipleship, but he carries it on and he says, I'm not just going to make you into a disciple, but I'm going to teach you to do what I've done. So I'm going to make you into a disciple maker who makes other disciples, who makes other disciples, so that you may bear fruit. And at the end of his life, this is the last night. It's that last moment that, that you're going, what else do I need to get in? What do they need to know? It's, it's now or never. And Jesus says, go and bear fruit. You see in this passage, we, we kind of see four types of fruit. We see no fruit. We see fruit. We see some fruit or more fruit. And then we see much fruit. And as he takes them along the journey, he's going to them, guys, at the start of your journey, you were producing no fruit. Why were they producing no fruit? Help me here. They were not connected to the vine. You know, we think, I'm in this world, I'm going to do something significant. You cannot do anything significant if you're not connected to the vine. It doesn't matter how much wealth we accumulate. It doesn't matter how amazing our kids are. You've done nothing significant outside of the vine. No fruit. Then they respond to Jesus and they start following him and they start bearing fruit. You remember when you came to know the Lord? It was just like this instant and, and there, were, there was fruit. And your family was starting to say to you, you're different. Children, your parents were going, you're respecting me. Whoa, what's happening? That's Jesus living in us. But he doesn't want to stop it there. Sad thing today is that we start bearing some fruit and then we become complacent. And we think that this journey from unbelief to maturity is just about going to church and listening at church and producing some fruit along the line, but... Jesus carries on and he says, I want you to produce more fruit and eventually much fruit. Why is it that we bear fruit? We bear fruit to bring glory to the Father. You see, when we start that journey of unbelief or immaturity, it is all about me. It's all about me. And we live in a culture, and, and our culture is influencing us in such a way that it says, you are most important. Fight for your rights. It's about you. It's about your happiness. It's about your comfort. And everything drives us towards that end. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's not about you. You are made for this end that you will shine the glory of the Father. I mean, an artist takes a painting and he, and he paints that painting and, and he produces a masterwork. The painting doesn't get the glory. The artist 
gets the glory. And that's what happens when God produces fruit in our lives. He wants the glory. As soon as it's about me, I've stopped remaining. If you're asking yourself, should I do this? And you you come to the conclusion, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to be famous or I want to be more comfortable or I want to be more happy. I'll tell you now you've stepped out of the vine. Because God's about his glory. That's why Jesus came. That's why he multiplied himself into these men and women. Because he wanted to become famous. And when we bring glory to him, here's the deal. I identify myself as being his child. You know what's happened? (laughs) Instead of it being said, John, oh, you are Tony's son. We want it now to be, oh, Tony, John's your son. You are John's son. Are you not John? You are John's son. You are John's father. We want the attention on us. Are you, are you, you getting this? And John the Baptist says that I might become less and he might become greater. So fruit bearing is about his glory. Fruit bearing is a, a way that I show who I belong to. In this passage, we, we notice that there are four different types of branches identified. And the branches produce different types of fruit. And the first branch is a branch that produces no fruit. What happens to the, the no fruit branch? It is cut off. Okay? It's cut off. And no fruit branch from this passage is useless. And so I'm outside of Jesus Christ and I'm thinking, you know, my life's so significant. And Jesus is going, no, apart from me, you're useless. Anybody ever picked up a, a, a branch of a grapevine? I know where there's one if you want to go off to church, okay? <laughs> but it's light, it's It's useless. You can't use it as kindling to start a fire. It burns up quickly. We go, wow, that's harsh. How can you say if you're not in Jesus, it's useless? I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. And if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, I better take seriously what he said. Because 60 or 70 years in this lifetime, living to try and find purpose and ending up and being outside of the vine for eternity. And so you might have been brought here this morning by your wife or teenagers. You might have been forced to come here by your parents or because you're scared of Kevin Knight, I would also be. And you're just going, you know, I'm going through the run. I'm just, I'm pleasing them. That's out of the vine. And eventually you'll start doing things that are about me 
and you'll start trying to build your reputation and you'll accumulate your wealth, but at the end, it's useless. You have this huge house. Can I just remind you that you're leaving it behind? And your kids will leave it behind, and your kids' kids will leave it behind, and eventually it will become like some of these shopping malls that I ride past. There's nothing in them. They look terrible. It is useless. We don't like talking about hell, but Jesus spoke about hell more than heaven. And I'm not speaking about hell in this this aggressive, judgmental way. I'm I'm just saying Jesus saves. I don't have to go to that route. You don't have to go to that route. Go to that route. It's not a good sentence. You don't have to go that route. He saves. He says, I came to give you life and life to the full. But apart from me, you can do nothing. No fruit. I don't want to get hung up in there because Jesus wants fruit. And so we look at fruitfulness. And I I give my life to Jesus and, and I start producing fruits. Have you got to that part in your journey where, where you've stopped producing and you've just started attending? I go to church every single week. I'm a Christian. No, Jesus says, you'll know who are mine by their fruits. And another place, you'll know who are mine by their, not fruit, by their, teenagers tell us, they love one for, Excellent, okay? They love one for another. You will know who are mine. I don't think Jesus died on the cross for me to attend a whole lot of meetings. You you fall in this. It has to produce fruit. And then he says, more fruit. And, and from the passage, how does he say we get more fruit? Sorry? He prunes us. He prunes us. Pruning's not nice. Hey? It's tough. It's, it's hard. And sometimes when, when God's pruning us through a hard time, I lost my work and I, I went through this and I went through that and and. God, why would you do this to me? And he says, my son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens anyone he accepts as a son. You ever thought of the man that was born blind in the Gospels? I'm thinking of Jesus walking in the streets of Jerusalem and coming across this guy. And he, as he walks past, his disciples grab him and say, Jesus, is he blind because of his parents' sin or his sin? I mean, they, they, they had this legalistic, God's going to judge you with punishment because of, and what's Jesus' response? Sorry? Neither. This happened so that my glory may be demonstrated. And you might be sitting in a place in your life and going, I am feeling worse than that blind man. This is happening to me and, I, and um, I, I've got cancer or, or, or my mom's got dementia and, and, and I, I just can't believe God would do this to me. 
God didn't say that he's going to do nice things for us. He said, I'll be with you so that you may produce fruit. I think of Joni Erickson's story. I mean, at that moment when she dived into that, that pond and um, uh, was made into a paraplegic, I'm guessing she wrestled through, God, why would you do this? That God has brought glory to himself over and over and over and over. She's known all over the world. God's business is glorifying his name. Are you, are you following this? His business is glorifying his name. Because if he doesn't, we in serious trouble. We wouldn't know salvation is available to us. We wouldn't know Jesus saves. So God has got to make his name great. He prunes us for more and then ultimately much fruit. Much fruit comes as a result of remaining in the vine. The impact is great commission and great commandment. GC squared or GC2. Great commission and great commandment. That's the impact. I love God, I love man, and I make disciples. And it only comes about because the Holy Spirit is living in my life. What time do I have to finish? Half past 12. Just checking. Um, So as God produces fruit in our lives, how does he do this? I think he starts with, and I'm not taking this from any scripture in the Bible. This is the King John Version. Okay. Um, I think he starts with our character because he wants to deal with our heart. And the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, that's being, that's who I am. My kids look at, my dad, look at me and they go, my dad is patient sometimes. <laughs> but he starts with character and then he moves on to conduct, the things I do. Now the, the sad thing, and teenagers, I was a youth pastor and I'd often have teenagers saying to me, hey man, John. I, if I become a Christian, do I have to stop drinking? Do I have to stop smoking? Do I have to stop, 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 stop? I don't think God starts here. He starts with my character because out of that naturally flows my conduct. That then I'm starting to go, why do I want to do that? Why do I want to sleep with my girlfriend? Because why do I want to... It takes away my purity. It drives me on my relationship with the Father. It takes away my fruitfulness. I don't start by saying, I'm not going to do that. Well, um, are you hearing me? He starts a deeper work in my heart that results in the right behaviors. But it doesn't stop there. Unfortunately, we think it's just about our impact, my character and my conduct that will be pleasing to the Lord. It also has to impact into my calling. Five times, in five different places, Jesus challenges the disciples to a life calling of making disciples. The fruit of a Christian is the fruit the fruit, the fruit of an apple tree is? And another apple tree. 
that will produce more apples. The fruit of a Christian should be another Christian. The fruit of a disciple maker, if I say I'm living out that calling, go and make disciples, John's life has to produce more disciples. As I look at my life, I'm asking the question, John, are you producing disciples? John, who are you hanging out with to fulfill what Jesus asked you to do to be fruitful? There's got to be a burning desire in my heart to see my life reproduced in other people's lives. And Paul would put it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. I think we've drawn a line under conduct and we said that's enough. And Jesus says five times to the disciples, go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go and preach to all of creation. John has it, Luke has it, Matthew, Mark, and Acts has it. Four different times before the crucifixion, after the crucifixion in Jerusalem, after the crucifixion up in Galilee, go up to Galilee and meet me on the mountain. On the mountain, he says, go and make disciples. Go back to Jerusalem. We're standing on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, you will receive power. Not for me again, but to be my witnesses. And so how do we bear fruit? I think we start, by bearing, we start by asking a few questions as we identify why we are not fruitful. And the first question is, is my life cluttered with non-important things? Here's the deal. I've got this huge mansion. And to have this huge mansion, I have to do this amount of work. Do I need this? Because this is taking up my life. I'm spending so much time trying to make sure that I'm meeting the mortgage, trying to make sure that, that I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Do you use that? Actually, there's an American film, Keeping Up With The Joneses, so it must be. But are you, are you following me here? Where's my house going to be when I die? Is it going to eternity? Teenagers, everybody's saying to you, go to college, be a success. I'm saying fulfill what Jesus has told you to fulfill. Because all of that other stays behind. And parents, you can stone me afterwards. But I don't think it's important to Jesus. What is important is, do I have the character of the kingdom? Do I fulfill the conducts, the priorities, and am I fulfilling the calling of that kingdom? And maybe I need to change my life. Maybe I need to sell that mansion and buy a small house. That's all I need so that I have more time to do those things that are important is there a sin issue in my life that's stopping me from making disciples? I've got a men's group and um, a number of men's groups that I invest into to men. Uh, and a few weeks ago, I said to the, the men that had been in my group, you know, guys, we've been doing this for a season. Uh, and, and I'm now saying next week we're not meeting. 
Next week, I want you to go and find, um, ask God to identify one or two friends and to ask them into a group that you're going to start with them. And there was just, so, so why is that hard? No, you know, John, um, I just don't think I'm ready yet to do it. So I said, what more do you need? What more did the Samaritan woman need? You remember John chapter four? She runs straight back to her village. Jesus has had a short conversation with her. She's already starting to make disciples. What more did the demoniac need? You remember the guy that had the demons cast out of him? He wants to jump into the boats and say to Jesus, take me with you. Teach me how to make disciples. Jesus says, no, go to your home and tell them what God has done for you. That's all you need. And and we come up with this excuses, I am not good enough to do that. So I said to them, guys, just do what we've been doing here. And I'll keep on that journey with you and then you will keep just ahead of them. Are are you following me? You can make disciples. You're a spiritual giant. If you've just been coming to church for the last two months, you're a spiritual giant. You've got two months more than that person. Take them on a journey. And then the next excuse to me was, you know, John, I don't think I've got my life in order. Welcome to the party. My life is a mess. Yes, if there's deliberate sin in my life, I confess it and God forgives me. But I'm continuously struggling different issues. So did Paul. And he says, the things, the things I want to do, I do not do. And the things I do not want to do, I continue doing. And Paul made disciples that changed the world. Is there some issue that is stopping me from doing it? And maybe that is just my excuses. And then the next question to ask is, is there a person in my life that's stopping me? Maybe you've got a mate at school that really has a negative influence on you. And and you feel, feel, if I do this, I'm not going to be accepted by him. And Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed before my father. If there's somebody in your life that's intimidating you from doing what God, the creator of the universe, has called you to do, isolate yourself, move away. If it's your husband and wife, I'm not saying move away and isolate yourself, okay? But pray and ask God to open that door. Remain in the vine is the second thing that we do. Remaining in the vine, it's the only way that you're going to produce fruit. How do I remain in the vine every single morning and I need to finish up here? Every single morning I need to wake up and say, I deny myself. Jesus made the statement in Luke chapter 9, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Myself is about me. And so when I get up in the morning, I'm just going, God, I deny that. It's natural for me for self-preservation. It's natural for me to look after John. It's natural for me to do things that are comfortable and easy. It's natural for me not to step out. 
But if I'm coming before Jesus and when I'm sitting in the vine, I'm saying to him, Jesus, I deny myself today. You know, I think that when we're thinking of remaining in the vine, it's just, it's waking up in the morning or in the evening just before I go to bed and like my son does, he reads one chapter and he reads it so quickly that, I mean, he reads about three times quicker than I do. And then he says, Dad, I've done it. And, I, and I'm going, Nate, remain in the vine. Spend time with him. It's not just about what I'm reading. Am I hearing from him? It's not just about what I'm saying. Am I hearing from him? Am I slowing down enough to say, Jesus, what do you want for me? Deny yourself. Live in obedience. That as you walk through the day, as we're remaining in the vine, God's going to say, speak to that person. That person needs encouragement. That person needs you to ask them to spend more time with them so that you can start investing into their life. Kingdom character and priorities. And then keep pure and right before God. Because as soon as I deliberately step into disobedience, I rob myself of fruitfulness. Third thing to, towards that is to, to respond well to pruning. And I'm not for any minute saying that having a, a, a terrible disease or the death of a loved one and, and going through that is, is nothing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that God is using that to shape you for more fruitfulness. John, it's easy for you to say you're not going through that. I know that when you get through it, that you are going to be more fruitful. Spoke to a lady that um, had a seizure just before her daughter was born. Her daughter was born with severe cerebral palsy. In fact, she came to Israel with us last year. Uh, she died. Her husband's a doctor and resuscitated her for Many years she couldn't speak. She only started walking, I think, uh, eight months after the seizure happened. Uh, she now says, you know, when, I, when I'd speak, people would respond to me like I was dumb. And my brain was perfect, but I couldn't speak. And, and I said to her, man, that must have been such a tough time. She says, John, I would give, I, I would, I'm trying to get this right, jet lag, but I would not take anything to replace that experience. I'd, I'd, am I saying it correctly? I would never want to have it any other way. That's put better. And here's a woman that's saying, you know, I'm bringing more glory to God because of that experience. God's got you on a journey. It's not about you. It's about his glory. And then lastly, wait upon the Lord. If you're spending five or ten minutes a day with the Lord, you, you can say, my fruitfulness isn't there. Wait upon the Lord. Spend quality time with the Lord that when you leave that, it's so natural just to carry on walking with him throughout the day. I'm asking God more and more, Jesus becomes so real in my life that every time I encounter somebody, any time I think of somebody, you're there with me. Go and bear much fruit. You didn't choose me, I chose you, Jesus says, so that you will bear much fruit. Let's pray together. 
If you're sitting here this morning and, and you've, you've been exploring this thing called Christianity, I'm so glad you've been exploring that because it's not just a thing, it's a person. And that person saves. His name's Jesus. And he saves and he's waiting for you and he's saying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. You've tried to do it on your own and it's just, you can see it's not working. Come to me. All you have to say this morning is, and I'm not gonna ask you to pray it aloud or stand or just say, Jesus, I come to you. Here's my life. Graft me into that vine. Put me in that vine. I wanna live a significant life for you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and um, you've attended church, but you're only at that some fruit. You've only done the character and the conduct, but you've never moved to the call that God has on your life. You're not discipling somebody. You can't quickly say, this is the person I'm discipling. And I'm not asking, are you discipling a Sunday school class in a big group meeting where you're just giving them information? I'm asking, are you doing life with somebody to help them do life with somebody else? If you're not doing that, right now, ask God to lay somebody on your heart that you can invite into a discipleship relationship. I want you to respond to this this morning, and I didn't do it in the first service. I'm feeling I need to do it now. If God's laid somebody on your heart, I just want you to stand up and say, I'm in this. I'm gonna start producing much fruit. God's laid somebody on your heart. You're saying, I'm gonna stop just being a bystander and observing or just being a church attender. I'm gonna start discipling. I want you to stand up. Excellent. Somebody else. I want to stand before the Lord one day and say, I fulfilled it. Excellent. Somebody else. It involves all of us. Jesus, please show us that person that we're going to ask this week into that relationship. Maybe you're going, I don't know how to do it. I'm just saying, do what was done with you. If you've read a great book, invite them in and say, hey, come, I'd love to study this book together. Anybody else? Jesus, help us be disciple makers. For those that have stood up, help them take the step this week to invite somebody, uh, that person into uh, a discipleship relationship. Help them fulfill what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen.